Uh, so we're going to actually, the next three weeks, as Pastor Ethan said, we're going to talk about different missionary stories. We're going to talk about the scriptures that guided these missionaries and the calling that they had and what it took for them to go across the world and in some instances give their lives. We're going to start this morning with John and Betty Stan. You may be familiar with their story, but if not, we'll start with a quick like six and a half minute video just kind of recapping a little bit about their life and ministry. Postmaster, when he recognized the prisoners. We don't know where they are going, John answered simply, but we are going to heaven. As he spoke those words, John Stam knew the likelihood of survival was small. A chaotic war had sprung up in the Hanwe province of China in 1934. Rough soldiers seized John and his wife Betty. They were missionaries on their first term, only in their late 20s. Writing to his mission, John explained their predicament and ended his brief letter roughly quoting Philippians 1.20. The Lord bless and guide you, and as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. Days later, on a lonely hill outside the village, their captors beheaded the young couple. The promises of God's word had long prepared John and Betty Stam for this day, during his graduation speech at the Moody Bible Institute just two and a half years before, John spoke of the risk before them. Shall we retreat and turn back from our high calling in Christ Jesus? Or dare we advance at God's command in face of the impossible? Let us remind ourselves that the Great Commission was never qualified by clauses calling for advance only if funds were plentiful and no hardship or self-denial involved. On the contrary, we are told to expect tribulation and even persecution, but with it, victory in Christ. The faithfulness of God is the only certain thing in the world today. We need not fear the result of trusting Him. His wife Betty expressed the same faith in God's promises at a Bible conference in 1925. Betty chose Philippians 1.21 as her life verse. A few years later, while studying at Moody Bible Institute, she prayed, Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. I hand over to thy keeping all of my friendships, all the people whom I love, are to take second place in my heart. Fill me and seal me with thy spirit. Work out thy will in my life at any cost. For to me, to live is Christ. Amen. Both John and Betty viewed their deaths as gain and victory. That testimony stands engraved on their tombstones, not far from where the soldiers' swords ended their lives. A single gravestone marks both graves. A cross at the center separates their epitaphs. To the left reads John Cornelius Stam, 18th of January, 1907, that Christ may be magnified by life or by death, Philippians 
And to the right reads Elizabeth Scott Stan, his wife, 22nd February, 1906. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. Inscribed beneath the cross is the date and place of their martyrdom, 8 December, 1934, Myoshia Anhui. The spirit of Philippians 1, 20-21 resounds from a poem treasured by Betty Stam, recorded in Mrs. Howard Taylor's account of their martyrdom and circulated after their deaths. Just three years earlier, missionary E.H. Hamilton penned these words as he pondered the martyrdom of his colleague, Jack Vinson. Afraid? Of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release? To pass from pain to perfect peace? The strife and strain of life to cease. Afraid of that? Afraid of what? Afraid to see the Savior's face, to hear his welcome and to trace the glory gleam from wounds of grace. Afraid of that? Afraid of what? A flash, a crash, a pierced heart, brief darkness, light, O oh, heaven's art, a wound of his, a counterpart. Afraid? Of that? Afraid of what? To enter into heaven's rest and yet to serve the master blessed? From service good to service best? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not? Baptize with blood a stony plot till souls shall blossom from the spot? Afraid of that? Both John's and Betty's families, though grieving for their loss, expressed faith in God's wisdom in allowing the martyrdom of their children. They found comfort in the promises of God. Their written responses just after hearing the news reflected their confidence that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 In a telegram to the China Inland Mission, Betty's father wrote, Deeply appreciate your consolation. Sacrifice seems great, but not too great for him who gave himself for us. Experiencing God's grace, believe wholeheartedly. Romans 8.28 John's father echoed this same faith in God's promises, saying, What could be more glorious? It is true the manner in which they were sent out of this world was a shock to us all. But whatever of suffering they may have endured is now past, and they are both infinitely blessed with the joys of heaven. We are sure that our dear brother and sister, Dr. and Mrs. C.E. Scott, both join us in saying, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The promises of God not only strengthened the faith of those martyred, but also comforted the loved ones they left behind. Truly, we need not fear the results of trusting Him. What is my biggest fear if I follow God? What promises of God can help me to overcome that fear and obey God anyway? If the worst case scenario occurred for me or my family, what would that reveal about my faith in God? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. It's an incredible story. If you've, how many of you have heard the story of John and Betty Stan before? You have heard or So you've ne if you've never heard it, raise your hand. You've never heard the story of John and Betty Stan. So many of us have never heard this story. I grew up, fortunately, I, I, 
went to a Christian school and our, we had Christian curriculum. And I remember reading this story as a child. And even back then, it, it, it gripped my heart. And so I was thinking about the next few weeks of Sunday school. This, this story stood out to me. And actually, there's a song we're, we're going to sing together today in church um, that actually inspired this couple to go to the mission field. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as, as we sing that song today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, were often quoted by John Stamm in his life. And we're going to read verses 12 through 21 this morning. The Bible says this, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We understand that Paul is writing this passage to the, the church in Philippi from a, a, a jail cell. And I'm not sure if it's this imprisonment or another, but ultimately Paul is going to be put to death for preaching the gospel. He says in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Stam's sacrificial death is often cited as galvanizing a new generation of missionaries to enter into the mission field. In fact, I'll give you a little bit of background. So in the, in the mid-1800s, God called a man named Hudson Taylor to go be a missionary in China. And during that time, missionaries often would, and, and specifically in China, they would go, and, and their goal was, was, yes, to give the gospel, but it was also to westernize. Their goal was, well, if, if they're going to understand the gospel, then they need to become like the rest of the world. So they would often tr live, live life the way that they would typically. Many of them had servants. They lived in large houses. And they would try to get the people of that nation, wherever they were, the people groups, to be more like the Western world. Hudson Taylor ends up going to China working for a mission board in, in, in the early 1800s, around 1840, 1850. And as he's there, he sees what's going on. And for the first few years, he lives like the other missionaries. And he realizes, and there's a picture of young Hudson Taylor, he realizes that if he's going to win the Chinese people, he's going to have to adopt some of their cultural practices. You can go to the, the this is... Hudson Taylor, afterwards, he dressed in the traditional Chinese garments. He cut his hair. 
He even had at one point, uh, like the bald head and the ponytail was popular um, in China at the time. So he even had that. And he was laughed at and mocked by other missionaries and even actually some of the Chinese Christians himself because they had this, this, this skewed understanding that the mission was not just to win people with the gospel, but it was also to win them to the Western world. Hudson Taylor really changed the way that missions was looked at going forward. He saw this great need. China was, was basically completely untouched by the gospel. And he saw this great need. So in 1865, God called him to establish the China Inland Mission. And really, it's a remarkable story of God's faithfulness. In the early 1900s, the early 1900s, the Boxer Rebellion took place. And if you're not familiar with the Boxer Rebellion, you can look it up. It was a group of communists coming in and, and taking over China. And they, they were called the Boxer Rebellion because they believed they, they had special superpowers, supernatural powers, because of a boxing style that they, that they practiced. And that's a true story. I didn't make that up. That's why it was called the Boxer Rebellion. But during this time, their goal was to purge China of any foreigners who were corrupting the Chinese people. And many missionaries were martyred. Most of them fleed and left the country. But there was still a great need. And actually, Hudson Taylor, he was still alive. And he goes in, in the early 1900s, in 1905, he, he goes to tour China. He's, he was retired at this point, living in Switzerland. And he wanted to see what havoc was caused by this communist rebellion. Well, as he was touring the country and seeing the devastation that had taken place, he actually, he actually died. He had, he had cancer, and it, had, it finally took him in 1905. So Hudson Taylor was buried in China, the mission field that God had called him to. In the 1920s, there was... Many missionaries had not gone back, and there was still a great need for mission work to continue in China. And in the late 1920s, Frank Houghton, who uh, later will become the head of the China Inland Mission, he saw the need, and he wrote this song. It's called Facing a Task Unfinished. And we'll sing that later today, but he writes this song, Facing a Task Unfinished, and it was introduced at a prayer meeting put on by China Inland Mission. This prayer meeting took place in Chicago. And during this prayer meeting, they were praying specifically for 200 more missionaries to answer the call to go to China. Well, John and Betty Stam answered that call. They go to China, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but their sacrificial deaths are often cited as galvanizing a new generation of missionary candidates. And in fact, upon hearing the news of their death, 700 young people at Moody Bible Institute, which is their alma mater, answered the call to go to China. And then nearby was um, Wheaton College, and 200 answered the call to go to China, all of them pledging to follow the Stam's example of selfless Christian service and echoing John Stam's final message to his missionary colleagues, the Lord bless and guide you. And as for us, May God be glorified, whether by life or by death. 
Gideon, there's an image you can put up. It's, it, it's hard to see, actually. It's like a little note. Do you see that image there? I don't know if you can read this, but the night that they were taken uh, prisoner by the communist, John Stan was able to actually write this message, and he actually, uh, it was sent out, and obviously this has been transcribed, but it, he got it to the postmaster, and it was sent out. He says, my wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists in the city, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. All of our possessions and stores are in their hands, but we praise God, peace in our hearts, and a meal tonight. God grant you wisdom in what you do, and us fortitude, courage, and peace of heart. He is able, and a wonderful friend in such time. Things happen so quickly this a.m. They were in the city just a few hours after the ever-persistent rumors really became alarming, so that we could not prepare to leave in time. We were just too late. The Lord bless and guide you, and as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. So what is it that compelled the Stams to answer God's call to go? It was a deep and a personal faith in the God that they knew was always in control. This morning, we're going to look at the faith of this young couple shown by the scripture that guided them, and then we're going to realize the faith that we need as we too are called to this great mission. First this morning, let's look at the faith to answer the call. The faith to answer the call. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13. It'll be on the screen, but turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Often, John Stam quoted this, these verses, and actually in his graduation speech, he paraphrased from them. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 to 38, Matthew 13, 36 to 38, the Bible says this. Another parable, well, I'm sorry, uh, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parables of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the of the wicked one. In his graduation speech, John Stam quoted, and he said, the field is the world. And he quoted directly from this parable. He understood that God was call, is calling each of us to be laborers in this field. God is calling each and every one of us to be laborers in the field. This parable that is given is the parable of the man who sowed in his field. And he sows wheat in the field, but then at night, his enemies, the Bible says, come in. And they sow tares, or weeds, in the field. The next morning they come out, or not, maybe not the next morning, but as they see the, the, the wheat start to grow, the laborers realize, well, there's tear. There are tares growing with the wheat. What, what should we do? And the, the man who owns the field says, just let them be for now. We'll sort them out at the end. John Stam recognized that he was in this field laboring. And his job was to spread the gospel. It reminds me of the parable of, of the seed that falls by the wayside, right? A sower goes out to sow and he sows and, and some of the seed was dropped in the soil and it sprang up and grew. Some fell by the wayside. 
Some grew in the weeds and, and the weeds choked it up and some were, were on the stony ground and the sun came out and scorched it so it couldn't grow. He understood that God was calling him not just locally though. God was calling him to go into all the world as Matthew chapter 28 reminds us. He was raised in a Christian home by, by parents who came to Christ later in life and really, really loved the Lord. Yet, as he was sharing his calling with his father, his father encouraged him this way. Are you sure? He's from Patterson, New Jersey. Are you sure God doesn't want you to stay here in Patterson, New Jersey? There are plenty of people who haven't heard the gospel here in New Jersey. He was trying to encourage him to stay and, and, and to focus his evangelistic efforts locally. But John couldn't escape his calling to go to the unreached. As we think about it, we're all called at least, at the very least, to spread the gospel in our local areas. We're all called at the very least to tell those around us of the good news of Jesus Christ. Yet maybe in here someone, God is calling you to go into all the world. Maybe someone in here, God is calling you to reach the unreached people. Another verse he quoted was Psalm 126, 6. Psalm 126 and verse number 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. He quoted in, his, in the same graduation speech, bearing precious seed. The word of God and the, and the message of the gospel is the precious seed. And each and every one of us is called to carry it, to bear it in our lives. And the Bible gives us instruction in Psalm 126 that if we go forth, if we bear this precious seed, if we share the gospel, then doubtless we will come again with rejoicing, bringing the harvest with us. I encourage you all, this is, this is um, as we think about, I, sometimes this happens to me, I think about missionaries who go into the, into, the, in, into the unreached places of the world. And today we, we think about it, this is 2023. This is almost 100 years after this took place. And we can understand that we can fly to China. We have two brothers here who flew here from China. Right? We can fly to China. We can get there pretty quickly. China is no longer an unreached nation. We'll talk about that later. But there are many unreached places in the world. But back in the, the 1920s and 1930s, they couldn't just fly to China. They couldn't just, when they got there, call up all their friends and family back home. They took a ship. They took a boat. It was estimated that Hudson Taylor, in his life, from the time he spent going back and forth raising support, because he was, he was the one who really popularized the idea of faith promised missions, right? He was the one who popularized the idea of, we're going to go in faith not knowing what we have, but God will provide. Going back and forth raising support for his missionaries, it was estimated that Hudson Taylor spent between four and five years of his life on ships in the ocean. 
these missionaries, we think of them as, as, as sometimes I look at them as, as just these superhuman individuals. And really, they are great men and women of faith. When they were martyred, they were 25 and 26 years old. John Stamm wrote the words to his graduation speech when he was 23 years old. I encourage you to go home and Google John Stamm's graduation speech. It's, it's available on the internet. And the words that you will read will stir your heart. I read it probably about 10 times yesterday. Coming from a 23-year-old. It wasn't just John, though. During the, um, during the video, Josiah leaned forward and said that one of his devotions at, at college, right, was reading from uh, Betty Stamm's journal. And I leaned back and I was like, yeah. And what's incredible is she was 18 years old when she wrote these things. At 18 years old, Betty Stamm wrote this. She was Betty Scott at the time. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, <clears throat> to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt. And work out thy whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. 18 years old and she wrote those words. She was the daughter of missionaries to China. She grew up there. She was one of six. And in fact, God called all, all five of her siblings, so all six children of the Scots, to be missionaries in China. And that's where they all stayed. But at 18 years old, she's able to pen these words. I don't know how God has spoken to you or is speaking to you. Only you and he knows if he's calling you to go. But will you surrender to him? Don't just surrender yourself, though. Have you surrendered your children to him? John's father wanted and prayed fervently that his child would stay and serve the Lord with his life. But when he found out that God was calling him to China, he tried to convince him to stay and evangelize locally. And, and, and there's nothing wrong if God is calling us, many of us, God is calling us to be here and to evangelize locally. But let's not put ourselves in a situation where we're trying to put our will in the lives of our children and not God's will. We pray for our children's safety, but we often, we often don't realize that the safest place for them to be is by following God's plan wherever he leads them. We often pray, God, I want my children to follow you, but I want them to stay close to me. The safest place our children could be is following God's will and God's path for them. We have to be careful that we don't hold them so tightly that we discourage them from following God anywhere. We realize they're not ours. God has allowed us the privilege of watching over them, but ultimately our children are God's. Let's not get in the way of God's calling in their life. Do we have faith to answer the call? John and Betty Stam did. But they didn't just have faith to answer the call. They had faith to complete their mission. They showed faith to complete their mission. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now is the time as never before to reach men whose minds are swept of old barriers ere communistic atheism coming in like a flood raises other barriers tenfold harder to level. And before this generation of heathen passes into a Christless grave. Our answer last year to this challenge of the pagan millions was less than two cents a week for foreign missions from the average Protestant in the United States. And this year, we are given even less. We are giving even less. John Sam, his graduation speech from Moody Bible Institute, at 23 years old. In 1929, 1930, the average Protestant, and that would lump in, that would lump in Baptists, that would lump in um, uh, all sorts of Lutherans, it would also lump in Anglicans, um, Man, I'm drawing a blank on all the <laughs> different Protestant denominations. Methodists, uh, Presbyterians. That's where the one I got stuck on, Presbyterians. Um, that lumps in, that, when, when we talk about Protestantism today, that includes us as well. Like, we'll, we say that we're not Protestants, but when the world talks about Protestant churches, um, they, they lump Baptists into that sum. Today, on average, Protestant churches, so it, it's, it includes evangelical Christianity, are giving seven, the average person is giving $17 a week. That's not just missions. That's total. The average Protestant, the average evangelical Christian gives $17 in an offering per week. Not much has changed. Not much has changed. So if you're giving a tithe, let's just say, let's just say you're giving a tithe of $17. Some churches, like the Southern Baptist Convention, they don't do faith promise missions the same way that we do. They give a general offering and a percentage of that goes to missions. So let's just say, let's just estimate, and it's not, let's just say 50% of that giving goes to missions. $8.50 a week goes to missions. The number of unreached people in the world is growing year after year. The number of new missionaries going into the world is fewer and fewer every year. Yet we have more resources today than ever before to reach unreached people. Only 10% of all missionaries going out into the field are going to places that are unreached with the gospel. So 90% of missionaries, of new missionaries going into the field are going to places where there's already a gospel witness. And only 10% are going to reach the unreached. Yet this is the command by God. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. $17 per week is not going to cut it. So we have a twofold problem, at least, in evangelical Christianity. One, we're not going. And two, we're not giving. And I'm not, 
Listen, I'm reading statistics. I'm reading what God put on my heart. I've heard in the past, and I've been guilty of saying it myself, but preachers and missionaries admonishing us, just give up a cup of coffee a week and use that money to go to missions. But $5 a week isn't going to cut it. God is calling the church to radical Christianity. God is calling the church to radical giving. If we're going to reach the world with the gospel, then we need to be radical. We need to give radically. I just can't, like wrap my mind around the fact that the average Bible-believing Christian gives $17 per week. We, as, 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 as Americans, spend thousands of dollars each year on entertainment. We spend thousands of dollars on activities for our children and our families. We spend hundreds of dollars going out to eat. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But we give to God what we can and when we can. And that's wrong. My wife and I made the decision when we got married that we were going to give a certain amount each week to missions. And the way it's changed how we give it over the years, we would give it weekly, we'd give it bi-weekly, we'd give it monthly, but it was always a set amount that we were going to give. And it didn't, <clears throat> it didn't matter how tight we were. It didn't matter how short we were on finances, because I can promise you there have been times when we honestly didn't know where... We, how we were going to pay our bills. Yet, we trusted God. And I can promise you that there were times where we were tempted to lose faith and we were tempted to hold back and not give what we had committed. But we had made the commitment. And some months we were tight. We couldn't go out to eat as often as we wanted to, which is not much of a sacrifice. We had to sacrifice certain things in our life in order to answer the commitment. We tried to make business decisions that would help us to answer the commitment. Sometimes they were wise, sometimes they were foolish. But each week we gave what we had committed, or each month, however, however we had worked it out. We gave what we had committed to God, and every single time God met the need. Every single time. Whether it was through a bonus I wasn't expecting through work. At one point, someone in our church didn't know any, anything about a situation that we were going through, but just gave us a check for a couple hundred dollars that met a need that we needed. Our faith wavered occasionally. We didn't understand how God was going to make it work, but we still gave. And every time God saw that our needs were met. John Stamp says, shall we beat a retreat and turn back from our high calling in Christ Jesus? Or dare we advance at God's command in the face of the impossible? Let us remind ourselves that the Great Commission was never qualified by clauses, calling for advance only if funds were plentiful and no hardship or self-denial was involved. On the contrary, we are told to expect tribulation and even persecution, but with it, victory in Christ. And this young couple, 
they ended up in, their, in the province, in the town that they were called to go to for 11 days. And there was a knock on their door by the communists coming in. They were arrested. And the accounts vary, but within four days, they were executed for their belief. On their way to the execution place, they walked past this, this post office, and the postmaster was there. And he knew them. He was a Christian. And he asked, actually, before I even say that, their first night in jail, this is incredible, their first night in jail, it, was a, it, was, it wasn't really a jail. It was some big house that, that the, the owners had left, and they were using it as a prison. The baby was crying. They had a, a, a few-month-old baby at the time. The baby was crying, and the communist guards were speaking about killing the baby in front of the parents to, just because it would be a burden to them. There was a prisoner who had just been released, not a Christian by any means, he went to the guards and, and said, why would you kill this baby? What cause, would, what good would that do for you, killing this baby? This baby has done nothing. And the guards looked at the man and said, would you give your life for this baby? And he said, yes. And he was immediately killed. There's a miraculous story about the, the Stam's baby. <clears throat> the night before their execution, they knew what was going to take place. So Betty Stam took the baby, and, and it was the winter time, wrapped the baby up, and her clothing and put her in her sleeping bag and put some diapers in there and pinned $10 to her chest and left the baby there, trusting that God would take care of the baby. The baby was found 36 hours later. No harm had been done to the baby. I mean, hungry, but they were able to take care of her. And she was raised by her, initially for the first five years, by her grandparents, and then adopted by her, her aunt and uncle and actually lived her life on the mission field in the Philippines. She lived a private life, not wanting her address or, or her information to be, to be exposed. On their way to the execution, what has been described as a nominal Christian stepped out, pleading with the communists to spare their lives. So they asked this man, who again was a nominal Christian at best, they asked him, are you a Christian? And he boldly said yes. And he was killed on the spot. They get to the postmaster, and the postmaster is a believer. John gives him this letter, and he, he recognized them and said, where are you going? And John and Sam replied by, with this, I don't know where they're going, but we're going to heaven. Left the note and proceeded on his way. The, the, the bystanders said that when John Stam was executed, he had a smile on his face. Not because he was longing for death, yet he knew, he knew that the trials of his life were over and he was a faithful servant to the end. A month later, so the bodies were, were collected by an evangelist. His last name was Lowe. Yet this evangelist was a lukewarm Christian when he, when he collected them. And he had a fervor in his heart to spread the gospel afterward and was well known throughout, throughout that province in China as a great, bold speaker of the gospel. Yet he talked about the faces of John and Betty Stam after they had died, how they looked as if there was peace in their, on their face. There was no terror, but it, they had faces of peace. 
Listen, God is not calling each and every one of us to go to the mission field. Maybe he's calling you. Will you go? Have you surrendered your children to him? Will you let go of them? God may be speaking to you to give more or just to give it all. Will you be obedient? God is calling each and every one of us to those around us. Take a minute and look around this room. Just Everyone just look at this room. Notice the empty chairs. I don't want you looking at people. I want you to look at the empty chairs. Our immediate mission is to fill this room. That is our immediate calling. Whether God's calling you to go to the foreign mission field or whether God is calling you to stay here, God is calling each and every one of us to fill this room with people who need to hear the gospel. Imagine doing the same exercise, looking around the room and seeing someone that you invited and who you witnessed to, who accepted Jesus as their savior. Now let's go out and do it. I'll end with this quote from John Stan. People of God, does it not thrill our hearts today to realize that we do not answer such a challenge in our own strength? Think of it. God himself is with us for our captain. The Lord of hosts is present in person in every field of conflict to encourage us and to fight for us. With such a captain who never lost a battle or deserted a soldier in distress or failed to get through the needed supplies. Who would not accept the challenge to go forward bearing precious seed? Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for the lives of, of men and women who have sacrificed and consecrated their lives for you. We thank you for the scripture that guided them, for the faith that helped them to endure. Lord, we thank you for those who lost their lives and gave their lives to you. Lord, we thank you for those who were faithful for years and years and years Lord, we know that the harvest doesn't belong to them, but it belongs to you. I pray that you challenge us today. Challenge us, Lord, to give radically. Challenge us, God, to have a radical faith. Give us boldness to witness to those around us. I pray, God, that you'd call someone here to go and preach the gospel to the unreached people. What a privilege it would be, God, for us to send someone from our church. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. And we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.